Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Now we're going to talk some Packer football. We welcome in owner of the Packer Day podcast, writer-editor for Packer Report 166. We got Andy Herman on the show. Andy, uh, this is the first time you and I have actually spoken on this station. Thanks for giving us a couple minutes, man. How's your Friday morning going so far? Hey, it's going great. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be able to talk with you guys. I'm really excited to have you on because I see that you're doing some film breakdown. You got some Jordan Love uh, clips and some highlights on your Twitter page right now. And if nobody, fo- you know, if you don't follow Andy, you should do so. Andy Herman, NFL, give him a follow on Twitter. Um, your thoughts on the Jordan Love pick? I haven't spoke to you about it yet. I see you're breaking down some film. What are your thoughts on Jordan Love? You like the pick or do you hate it? Yeah, so I think there's always a gray area there. So I'll kind of walk through my initial breakdown of Jordan Love prior to the Packers even taking him, because I think that's probably the most honest assessment before you kind of get a little bit of rose-tinted glasses. But um, when I broke down Jordan Love pre-draft, I had a late first, early second round grade on him. And I'll be the first to say that when I generally watch a player with like Jordan Love, somebody that oozes upside, but you see a lot of turnover-worthy plays. You know, there's going to be a lot of work to be done in order to kind of get him to where you want him to be. I'm generally out on that player. You know, the the Mitch Trubisky's, the Deshaun Kaisers, the whoever you want to name. I'm I'm generally out on them because in today's day and age, in today's NFL, you just don't really see quarterbacks get that much better from what they are in year one anymore. Ryan Tannehill was kind of a rare example a season ago. You have to go back to the days where training camps were longer and you had the Mike McCarthy quarterback school for Aaron Rodgers and things like that. For the most part, quarterbacks are kind of who they, you know, are who they are when you first get them. And um, I don't necessarily think that you can always, you know, teach a lot of those traits out of quarterbacks just with the time that you're given with the current CBA. That being said, Jordan Love was one of the only guys that I've ever watched that I've had kind of that feeling of, all right, he's going to be a little bit of a project that I could not get myself to say, nope, I'm out on him. The the talent is too much. And this is not a projection like a Deshaun Kaiser, where Deshaun Kaiser was all raw tools, but it was all projection. You you couldn't see, you know, him string together NFL throws. You you saw the talent, but it, it wasn't. Uh, you know, it wasn't NFL talent on display when he was in college. And Jordan Love's the exact opposite. You, you go put on Jordan Love, especially in 2018, and you see him string together NFL throw after NFL throw. You see him be able to make NFL decisions. You see him be able to do everything on a football field that a high-end NFL quarterback would be able to do. Now, 
you do have to coach some of the things out of him because he is a little bit more of a risk taker. Um, he is a little bit more turnover averse. That's something that he's going to have to improve upon. Um, and like I said, he, a lot of times, you know, guys who are who they are when you kind of see some of that. But if this ends up being a player who throws, you know, 36 touchdowns with 17 interceptions, I think you can live with that. And I don't think this is a Jameis Winston instance where you're going to get a, you know, 30 for 30 season or anything like that. So, uh, the, the talent is there. The upside is there. I think the optics were interesting when they go up and trade for a player, and I think that's certainly something that's been often talked about. But one of the things that I will say is that if if you didn't feel comfortable trading a late fourth-round pick, which was basically a fifth-round pick, to go up and get your guy at quarterback, he probably was not your guy in the first place. Like, if that would have been the deal-breaker, he's not worth it. So it makes me feel a little bit better that the Packers felt like, hey, yeah, we're going to go get our guy because, you know, we can't, you know, we don't want to fathom somebody else getting him. And then it's just a conversation of, all right, you know, when does this transition take place? You still have Aaron Rodgers at quarterback. He's still under contract, which becomes, I think, the, the bigger talking point. Right, that's what I wanted to ask you because you bring up the fact that Jordan Love is a project, and it used to be, you know, we keep hearing these examples. Well, Aaron Rodgers sat behind Brett Favre, but it's just the league is so different now, especially if you trade up. If you use a first-round pick at quarterback, like look at what the Chiefs did with Patrick Mahomes. Alex Smith had a Pro Bowl season, and they went to the playoffs, and the next year they still moved on from Alex Smith and went to Mahomes. How many years do you think Rodgers has left in Green Bay? How many years do you think you know, it will take Jordan Love to become a starting NFL quarterback? Yeah, this is going to be so much dependent upon Jordan Love, and obviously this current offseason is probably not a great start to the, the Jordan Love career just because, you know, there may be a shortened preseason. You don't get all the mini camps and the rookie mini camps and all those sort of things, which you would have to think in some capacity puts Jordan Love behind the eight ball a little bit. But, you know, I've been watching so much of his 2018 stuff, and if you go back and just look at 2018, mm-hmm. I mean, he looks NFL ready just based on that that stuff alone. And, again, he ha- you have to coach some of the stuff out of him, but I think there is a part of an argument to be made that, you know, the way that you do that is by getting him on the field. And, um, you know, I had the opportunity to, to come on the station and talk to Bill Michaels about the article I wrote that the trade could come sooner rather than later. Um, and the whole precipice here, the whole, you know, idea behind that was basically that, you know, if you traded Aaron Rodgers next season, you kind of take that salary cap hit all in one year rather than spreading it out. You're still paying Jordan Love minimum money. You still actually save salary cap uh, next season. And then you have two seasons of Jordan Love at a basically minimum quarterback contract, $3 million and $4 million respectively, where you're not paying Aaron Rodgers a dime and you have a ton of money to go out and spend uh, to surround Jordan Love with talent, keep those free agents that you want to keep in Green Bay, um, and potentially, if you trade Aaron Rodgers, potentially get some premium draft picks back in return that can also open up that Jordan you know, Love window. But, um, I mean, it's going to be so dependent upon Jordan Love, what he's able to show in year one if Green Bay starts feeling comfortable with him. You know, T.J. Lang mentioned in a tweet about a month ago that he knew within about one practice if a guy was going to have it or not in the NFL. And we don't necessarily know if, if T.J.'s uh, you know, player evaluation is up to snuff, but I think Green Bay is going to have a really good idea of what they have in Jordan Love sooner rather than later, and if they feel like they can make that move within the next couple seasons. We're talking with Andy Herman here on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. You can find his work, the Pack a Day podcast, as well as Packer Report. Uh, you know, Andy, uh, you brought up the turnovers. Did the turnovers, and, and I know that you need to kind of coach some things out of Jordan Love, but if you go back and you brought up uh, two years ago, you know, he didn't really turn the ball over a whole lot. 
you know, he had better receivers. Uh, he didn't lose his running back that year, his offensive line. How much of last year was just the fact that he was on a bad football team, a bad Utah State team that was trailing a lot? I feel like a lot of those throws are forced because they're down two scores, three scores, and he's just trying to make something happen after losing all of his offensive line, his running back, and most of his weapons. You know, do the turnovers really worry you, or is that just him trying to make a play? It's a little bit of both. Yeah. You know, I think you know Aaron Rodgers will get some criticism at times because, you know, People want to see him take a little bit more risk in certain situations. And I think, you know, Jordan Love has a little bit more Brett Favre in him, that he thinks he can make every throw on the field, that he's going to, you know, try to be, uh, maybe try to do a little bit too much at times. Uh, You know, going back in 2018, while I think the tape is tremendous, you'll see some throws in there. In just about every game, there's at least one where you just go, what What was that? And a lot of them weren't intercepted in 2018, which is why they didn't show up on the stat sheet quite as much. Um, but you you see some of that in 2018 with the decision making here and there still needs you know you have to ask a few questions there. Um, in 2019 though, I uh, unbelie- you know unequivocally agree with you that it, it was something where he was trying to do too much. I mean, you're facing an LSU team where they have a 10 on 10 advantage at every other position. You know, LSU over Utah State. I mean, there's not a single guy in Utah State that's winning their one on one matchups with an LSU, you know, national championship team. It's up to Jordan Love to try to go out and make plays in that situation. He tried to do so. It didn't turn out the best. But how much can you fault a guy for, you know, taking a puncher's chance and trying to make some throws and throw some guys open? So there's some of that. But even in the, the good games where he's making a lot of great decisions and it's a five-touchdown, zero-interception stat line, you'll still see a decision here and there that makes you shake your head a little bit. I didn't quite understand the A.J. Dillon pick in the second round, but I'm really warming up to it, especially when uh, I go on Twitter yesterday and I see the picture of him post-workout without his shirt on. I just keep thinking, man, this guy running the football, Lambeau Field in December, in January, colder weather, he's going to be tough to take down. But I figure if he's getting like even 10 to 12 carries and Aaron Jones is still getting his 15 to 20 touches, where does that leave Jamal Williams? How many running backs are they going to keep on the roster? How do you see them using their backs this year, Andy? Yeah, I think Jamal Williams' situation is really unique. And uh, I, I did a, a podcast a few weeks back, and uh, I went into detail with uh, Jamal Williams and that he could potentially be a sneaky, you know, potentially, I think, late-round pick trade candidate. Oh. And the only reason I say that is you have Aaron Jones, who you know is going to get the bulk of the work. You just spent a second-round pick on a running back, which is a fairly premium pick for a running back. And then you still have Tyler Irvin, who you you know have a, a pretty good feeling that is going to make it as a kick return, punt return, slash you know weapon on offense that they can use a little bit in the slot, use a little bit as a running back. And then you've got you know an undrafted kid from Memphis as well as Dexter Williams, a sixth round pick. Yeah. And if Dexter Williams or the undrafted kid show anything at all, now you have to feel like okay, do we want to spend two million plus? on Jamal Williams for one season. We know we're probably not going to re-sign him a season from now. And that's one of those picture, you know, moments where you say, all right, if we feel like one of the backs, either Jones or Dylan or one of these guys, can really pick up the pass protection, that's really what we need on Jamal Williams. And that's where he stands above everyone else, mm-hmm. is being able to pick up blitzes. Now, Dylan shows every attribute to be able to be a great blitz pickup guy, but he doesn't have the mental side of it completely down yet. You'll see him uh, gamble, or not gamble, but you'll see him pick the wrong guy or you know pick the wrong hole, pick the wrong place to pick up the blitz. There's still some mental things that he needs to clean up there, but he has every attribute, and Aaron Jones has been better at it. But I do think you know, Williams doesn't bring anything from an explosive playmaker standpoint. He's a good guy that you can get running up the middle. He'll gain a yard or two after contact. 
but he's not an explosive playmaker. He's not a guy that you can just line up at, you know, in the slot and he's, you know, a threat to win one-on-one against the linebacker. He's good in checkdowns. He's good in the screen game. He's a great pass protector. But if you feel like you can get some of those things from the other backs on your roster and a team comes offering a sixth or seventh round pick for a guy that you know is only going to be on your team one year, um, I think the Green Bay would have to entertain that idea. But if he is on the roster, I do still think he's going to get some of those third down snaps because he's just so good at pass protection. Now, do you think they're going to extend Aaron Jones? Do you think Aaron Jones is a Green Bay Packer 2021-2022? I feel like some people have this idea that like Aaron Jones is going to be the burner and A.J. Dillon's just this power back, but they they have the same 40 time. Like A.J. Dillon has the same speed as Aaron Jones. The only thing is A.J. Dillon uh, doesn't catch the football out of the backfield. And he said a lot of that had to do with that's just not what he's asked to do at Boston College. Do you see Aaron Jones getting extended, though, and being a member of the Packers, or do you think this is it for him? Yeah, I think the big interesting thing right now with all the Packers free agents going into 2021 is just going to be what does that salary cap look like a season from now? Because, you know, if, if stadiums aren't full, if they lose a ton of revenue, um, if they're not able to play a full season for some reason, I mean, that could take a, a massive hit on the salary cap. And we know that Green Bay is going to want to do everything in their power to re-sign David Bakhtiari and Kenny Clark. And you just have to wonder how much money is left over after those two. And in the, in the normal situation, in a normal scenario where the salary cap you know, continues to increase year after year, if they can get Aaron Jones to sign for a reasonable deal, um, you know, I think it, yeah, you're right. I think Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon could you know, form a really nice duo. I think it limits the wear and tear on Aaron Jones' body. If you can limit him to you know, 12 to 15 snaps a game and give A.J. Dillon a lot of the work, you know, hopefully when you're up late, you know, I think that could help both of those guys. But when you're spending a second-round pick, a fairly premium pick for a running back, um, in the draft and giving him a year to develop under Aaron Jones. I just think that, you know, in, in, a, in a way, especially with the way the salary cap's coming up, um, the writing may be on the wall a little bit unless Jones is willing to take a, a less-than-value deal, which, you know, I wouldn't recommend any player doing necessarily. Right. Um, but, you know, I think it would be great to have him back in Green Bay. You know, Green Bay for the last couple of years, in a lot of ways, has gone how Aaron Jones has gone. And, and when the offense has been at its best, it's because Aaron Jones has been doing really well both as a, a pass-catching threat and as a running back. And, uh, you know, you definitely want to see that guy on your team, but there's the argument to be made that you don't pay running backs. And I think when you draft a guy in the second round, it gives you the ability to potentially not do that. We're talking with Andy Herman, the Pack-A-Day podcast, joining us here on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline, Bart Winkler Morning Show. Bart off, he'll be back on Monday. Ryan Horvath filling in. Uh, when you look at the wide receivers, I know Brian Gutekinds likes his big, tall, possession wide receivers, and you got one in Devin Funches, Alan Lazard, a bigger receiver, Devontae Adams, Likes to play on the outside. Who's going to be that slot receiver? Like, I look at the San Francisco 49ers and some of these teams, and they have explosive guys coming out of the slot. That's why I wanted Justin Jefferson so bad. Just last year at LSU, he caught 110 balls out of the slot. 25 touchdowns in two years. I just think you need an explosive playmaker that could play on the outside and work around in the slot. I, I heard Jay Sternberger saying, you know, he might get used more as a receiver this year and work out of the slot. When you look at these receivers, do you like what Aaron Rodgers has to work with in, like, who is going to be the slot receiver? Like, who is the burner? Is it EQ? We haven't seen him in, like, 15 months. <laughs> yeah, you and me both. Uh, <laughs> Justin Jefferson would have been amazing, and I, I think that would have been a fantastic pick. Um, unfortunately, things did not go according to plan, and now he's a division rival with the Minnesota Vikings. So uh, I think Green Bay, you know, I'm with you. So they need explosive playmakers on offense. I think that was the biggest thing that they were missing, a, a guy that can, you know, consistently stretch the field. And the biggest thing is just run after the catch. I mean, in Rodgers' prime, you know, yes, Rodgers' arm talent was incredible, and he was able to make some ridiculous throws. 
but a lot of stuff was Randall Cobb and Jordy Nelson and Greg Jennings and Donald Driver and Jermichael Finley and these guys making big time plays after the catch. It was a you know five or six yard route and they're able to take it you know twenty thirty plus yards because of their playmaking ability after the catch. And that's my biggest concern, you know, moving forward with the Packers, is who can be that explosive playmaker after the catch? You know, I think Jay Sternberger can help at the tight end position above what Jimmy Graham was able to do a season ago. I think we've seen Aaron Jones continue to grow into that type of player as a receiver, although he was negated a little bit when teams started to put defensive backs on him instead of linebackers. You know, we know Devontae Adams has that ability after the catch, but then, you know, Alan Lazard, big possession receiver. You know, we know that, uh, you know, Devin Funches is probably going to be more of a big possession receiver and those two are going to be a little bit redundant in a way um equity st brown yes you know but even he it's not like this is a a four three guy who's you know just taking the top off a team to just you know you get in his hands and immediately he's gone you know he's still a, a bigger guy it takes him to get you know up to speed a little bit right. um and again he missed all of last season and mvs has been inconsistent so um i, I do think that that piece is missing from this offense and it, they're going to have to be creative with how they generate the, those explosive plays which has been something that matt lafleur has been adamant about this offseason. When you look at the defensive side of the ball, I mean, you lose Blake Martinez, bring in Christian Kirksey, who I liked four years ago, but he's played, what, nine games in the last three years. Does the defense improve, especially against the run? And if they don't, is this Mike Patton's last year, you think, in Green Bay? Yeah, this is a big season for Mike Patton. I think anytime you know you you kind of get your uh, you know lunch handed to you in a in an NFC Championship game because you can't specifically stop one aspect of the opposing team's offense, you're kind of put on notice a little bit. And I think it's going to be really up to him in a lot of ways to figure out ways that they can do a better job of stopping the run. You know, in all four losses a season ago, they got gashed in the run and. Um, you know, it wasn't just the, the NFC Championship game. The other game against the Niners, the game against the Eagles, the game against the Chargers. They couldn't stop the run in any of those games. And low-key, that was my biggest need for the Packers this offseason was to somehow find a way to upgrade that defensive line and that inside linebacker group. I think there's the potential that they did on the, you know, with the inside linebackers. I think Christian Kirksey has the ability to be an upgrade from Blake Martinez if he can stay healthy throughout the season and if he can bounce back from two, you know, pretty injury riddled seasons. Um, but there's, I think there's certainly questions to ask there. Um, and they get Kamal Martin, but, you know, that's a lot to ask uh, from a, you know, a day three draft choice to come in and upgrade a run defense. Yeah. Um, and then at the defensive line, you know, they get Trayvon Hester as a, you know, veteran minimum guy along the defensive line, but they really don't do anything else. So this is going to be dependent upon the players that are on the roster. You know, Tyler Lancaster in, in his rookie year really showed that he had the ability to be kind of that run-stuffing specialist with increased snaps in 2019. It didn't go that way, and he, he kind of, I think, wore down a little bit more. So it's going to be dependent on him to kind of go back to how he was in 2018. I think things like Kiki needs to make a significant jump to be a contributor along that defensive line, and I think you just need to see guys like Montrevious Adams and Dean Lowry uh, just play better and really up to their potential to, to really kind of stop things. And I, I think that's going to be a really key takeaway from this offseason and this upcoming season is that they can be better stopping the run because if not, and if for any reason Kenny Clark would go down for any period of time, I just don't know how they're going to be able to consistently stop the run. Yeah, I don't even want to think about that. Where does Rajon, where does, uh, where does Rashawn Gary play? Does he play with his hand in the dirt or is he an outside linebacker? I mean, I just didn't understand the draft pick. I like, I didn't mind the Gary pick, but it's when you spend all that money in free agency on the Smith brothers and then you draft Gary. I just, that's why I didn't quite understand the pick. Like, does he find a way to get on the field this year? Because I have this, uh, this little side bet that he's going to have double-digit sacks, and I don't really know why I believe that. I don't know who's drawn the double team to free him up, but do you think that he gets on the field this year, and where does he play? 
Yeah, I think he's going to see, you know, his primary snaps as an edge rusher. Okay. And I think what they're going to try to do, you know, Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith played a ton of snaps a season ago. Mm-hmm. And, you know, while they're not exactly, you know, long in the tooth, um, they're still getting to an age where you don't want them probably playing that many snaps. And you want to hopefully save some of those snaps and those high-quality snaps for hopefully when you're making a playoff run later in the season. So I think you're going to see Rashawn Gary get some more playing time and, you know, try try not to uh, have Zedarius and Preston be playing, you know, 60, 70 snaps per game. So I think he's going to really be the primary factor there in, in getting those guys off the field a little bit more. But I absolutely think that you're going to see some creative formations, especially on obvious passing situations where, you know, Rashawn Gary is going to be rushing from the inside, um, like Patton mentioned that in, uh, you know, when he met with the media over Zoom, uh, they, they're going to be a little bit more creative with him. So I, I think they're going to see him uh, have that potential to rush from inside. He had a great pass rush against Seattle, rushing from the inside in the uh, NFC Divisional round last season. Um, and I think he has some ability to make an impact there, but I do think the majority of his snaps are going to be, you know, resting Zedarius and Preston a little bit. Yeah, and I love Zedarius, but he gives me a stomach uh, ulcer, one, uh, stomach ulcer once per week because he's down on like every other play and he's on the <laughs> ground and then you think he's dead and then he gets back up and he's back in the next play. A uh, real quick, Andy, because I got to let you go. A lot of people upset Aaron Rodgers, not a top 50 player from Pro Football Focus. Yesterday they do their NFL redraft and he's the ninth quarterback taken and they got Joe Burrow being taken over him, Dak Prescott, Matt Ryan, Kyler Murray. Is Aaron Rodgers still a top 10 quarterback in the NFL in your opinion? Yeah, I think he's still a top 10 quarterback. I think probably when they're doing those, I'm wondering if they're taking a long-term approach right. and knowing that Rodgers is a little bit you know, longer in the tooth and has a really significant contract. I'm not exactly sure what the parameters they're putting around it, but yeah, I still think he's a, a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. That's what I like to hear. Andy, thanks for giving us some time, man. Enjoy your weekend, all right? Thanks so much for having me, Ryan. Have a good one. Thanks a lot. This is Andy Herman. Find his work, the Pack-A-Day podcast. He joins us on the Great Midwest Bank. Hotline has your passion outgrown your home. A Great Midwest Bank home renovation loan may give you the space it deserves. Visit greatmidwestbank.com today. Simply local lending since 1935. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.